Before we begin this podcast, I just want to say on the day this episode comes out, happy birthday, Kaywin, and happy Easter. Hey, Alan. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I think I hear you twice. Okay, how about now? Now it's good. All right. Um, speak again. Testing. That was the voice of my friend Kaywin. Kaywin and I met back in 2012 when we started college. We were roommates, we graduated together, and we've stayed in touch ever since. I've had the pleasure of knowing him for almost eight years. And in this episode, I'm going to have a conversation with him. We talk about a lot of different things, but the overall goal is to get to know him better by knowing his story better. Hope you enjoy. All right. What's up, Kaywin? Thanks for coming to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Cool. So where are you right now? I'm at home in San Diego, in my parents' house. Okay. You've been telling me but you've been feeling ill the past few days. I have. Um, how are you feeling? Tell me it's not coronavirus. I'm 90% sure it's not coronavirus. I'm never 100% sure about anything, but I don't think it is coronavirus. Okay, okay. Wait, so what, what symptoms have you been experiencing? So it started last Friday with just a sore throat. And Saturday, I think I started coughing, but it was a dry cough. And Sunday, Ooh. I started getting headache. Okay. My sleeping became more difficult. I was sweating a little bit more, but I don't think it was fever. So headache for a few days. And the past couple of days, I've just been coughing and producing a lot. Of sputum? Yes. Okay. Wow. So like, what were you thinking during that experience? Were you, like, especially during the dry cough, were you wondering, oh my gosh, I'm scared this could be Corona, or were you more, more calm, or, or what were you feeling? I was pretty calm at first. I thought the symptoms didn't match, especially without a fever. Uh-huh. And knowing that everyone kind of shows it a little bit differently, and when I started getting a headache, I was a little bit more worried and more cognizant about keeping away from my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but overall, I think I've just felt, you know, humbled by the experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, even you can get, you can, even you can get sick, right? Oh, sure. Not, not only that, but just, yeah, just if we like being the one like kind of medically related person in the house, I should have been more careful, but still, I think everyone else, thankfully we're fine, but I just need to watch out even more for my own health. Yeah, yeah. So you're quarantined at home with your family. How are they how are they responding to you getting sick? I think you're double voice. I hear two voices now. You're echoing. Try that again. Okay, now it's good. So you you ask how they're feeling? Yeah. Uh they're slightly worried, but overall they I think the symptoms didn't show that it's coronavirus so that they've just been doing their best to take care of me and proceed normally, but cautiously. Yeah. 
And most of the days they're outside, so we don't really interact too much. Okay, okay. So they're still enjoying life, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> cool, cool. So, um, so we've known each other for a while, um, but I guess I was wondering on this podcast, uh, do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself, like what your story is, uh, e even though that's such a broad question? Yeah. Actually, actually, first question is, um, most people don't have the name Kaywin. Uh, how did, tell us a story about your name. Wait, I want to hear from you. I've told you quite a few times. I want to see if you still remember. <laughs> I do, I do remember, but it's it's so much better if the audience hears from the original source. But if you, ins do you if you want, I can. I, I just know. Um, all I know is you were born uh, in North Carolina, right? Yes. Um, and you were born near this lake in the state of North Carolina called Lake Tiga K. Mm -hmm. That last syllable formed the first the first three letters of your name k yep and then your parents just wanted you to win so they named you k yeah especially my dad he was pretty big on tennis and he expected me uh, to become i guess a tennis champion one day okay see when i first met you um i assumed like or i i just took a guess i was like okay this guy is um you can tell he's chinese by looking at or asian by looking at him um Maybe Kaywin is just like some uh, transliteration or something of his Chinese name. Because mm -hmm. uh, those are both like Chinese syllables, right? Or Chinese sounds, right? And then like I heard the origin story of that name and I was just kind of like, really? <laughs> it was that random? Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, it sounds more Korean, doesn't it? Kaywin. Kaywon. Kaywon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I know like a, I know a, I know a Sungwin as well. So no, I know a Sungmin, so I guess it's not the same, but um, yeah, yeah, I could see it. Yeah. So that's why I got my name. Uh, yeah. So your, your dad expected, he wanted you to win at tennis because he himself was a tennis player. Yeah. He really enjoyed the sport. Okay. So then when you were growing up, did that, was that an expectation or was that a pressure that was placed upon you? Like dad being like, come on, you're going to get good at tennis, son. I think, yeah, when I was much younger, I remember, you know, being on a chubbier side and he always dragging me to the tennis court and I would not want to run, didn't want to go chase after the ball, but he still kept trying until one day something just clicked and I fell in love with tennis. Really? Yeah. So it was really thanks to your dad that you got into the sport. Yeah, I don't know. Alternative universe, Kaywin, if he would have played tennis. But yeah, I would think my dad played a big part. I've been going through some baby photos, and I think tennis has been a persistent theme even in those photos. How old were you when you started playing tennis? How old? Well, he would say when I was in a cradle and there were tennis balls hanging. <laughs> but I think maybe around six or seven. Okay. Early elementary school. Okay, that's interesting because I was um, I was reading the Haikyuu volleyball manga earlier last week or so, um, and that chapter is all a flashback of um, one of our main characters' lives, Kageyama, um, and the very first page uh, was like he was a baby, and he was like holding a volleyball and just like 
biting on it and like slobbering on it as well mm. um and his grandfather was the key influence for him wanting to be a volleyball player and a setter um and then you know now now he's like one of the best mm. so so it's uh it's interesting you know seeing the i mean like it's 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 not clear that family what we what we're yeah, I think I'm a little behind on the manga, but I look forward to that little segment. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you were you were born in North Carolina, um, but you didn't stay there for long, right? So, so what happened after that? Yeah, I think my dad's company sent him to China when I was around three or four-ish. So our family moved there in 98. 1998. Yeah. So you stayed in North Carolina until you were about three or four years old? Yeah, three and a half to be exact. Okay, cool. So then um, where in China did you live and grow up? Uh, we moved around a lot of different places. We actually, I think one of the first places we moved to was Wuhan. So okay. oh, yeah, so where okay. all of this kind of started. So we were there for a good three, four years, still have some good memories. It was a city known for its spicy food and hot weather. And okay. I was there until first grade. And then we moved to Shanghai where I spent most of my childhood and teenage lives. All right, so two questions. Um, one is at that time, was Shanghai still, was Shanghai modernized yet? Like, cause these days it's very, it's very modern, right? It's, skyscraper after skyscraper but what about 98 99 mm, i guess i guess the four-year-old me doesn't pay attention pay attention to urban modernization but i think it was fairly modernized there were okay, okay. a lot of fast food chains like western stores cars everywhere got it yeah okay so you were in wuhan which is in the hubei province coincidentally where uh covid19 started as well yeah. And then you moved out to Shanghai and that was the majority of your childhood. And then what about after that? And then in high school, we moved to San Diego where I'm at right now. Okay. So you spent the majority of, of your pre, like you basically spent all of before high school, like in China. And so you became very fluent in Chinese, I'm guessing. And and not just the language, but the culture too. Yeah, I, I definitely identified more as Chinese for most of my life. Do you still mostly identify as Chinese? I think at this point I'm I feel like over fifty percent American. Okay, okay. Yeah. Cool. So when so you you moved to San Diego, that must have been quite the transition culturally right um what was that like uh it was nice to you know play a lot more sports and have so much more space compared to you know the claustrophobic city life and you know the stress of other people around you so that was a very re refreshing part but you know it's definitely difficult to find friends and to to deal with the cultural shock and some of the identity crisis there yeah so so back up a little bit so what do you remember about shanghai right before you move like it sounds like you mostly remember the, the crowded aspect of a very urban place and then you contrast that to 
the the outdoor sporty aspect of San Diego. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, maybe it was also the life stage of being an angsty teen before I moved to San Diego. But I think I mostly associate the Shanghai with you know the stress of the local school system, the traffic jam, that air quality. I mean, it certainly has all the good parts too. Like, I love my family, my friends there,、um, but maybe I'm not, you know, designed to be a city dweller. Do you have any memories or stories, experiences of Shanghai that kind of like really, really showcase what you were feeling at the time? Hmm, that's a really great question. I think the fragments of memory are just. Trying to squeeze into the subway when it's already full,、yeah. so you barely make you barely makes it, and then you're just kind of stuck at the door, pushed,、uh-huh. you know, against other people until the yeah, next station. Yeah, it's really bad during rush hour. Yeah, yeah. We were in Shanghai last year and the year before that, and oh man, like around five six p.m. It's like it's like everyone's just like kind of like bunched up with each other and. It's not very comfortable. Yeah, especially after tennis practice, all sweaty and oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> you just get the dirty looks. Yeah, yeah.、Uh, I was, I was on, I was on a subway or some train in China, and the. I tried not to give this one woman a dirty look, so so the train stopped. This old woman, she looked to be in her sixties. She got on, she sat down. The first thing she does, she lets out, a, she rips out a big fart. <laughs> And、uh, it was like the kind of part <laughs> where you can kind of feel the air come out from under her leg. Oh man! And I was like, "Oh my gosh!"、Um, I tried not to react out of politeness. And then, like, the train's on its way to the next stop. We have two more stops, and like, so we stop and then we keep going. And then, so the first part it didn't have much of a smell. The second one definitely had more. She did so. She did it again. Second one had much more of a smell, and. My mom was to my right. This woman was to my left, and my mom even she like gave like this kind of like side glance of like, really.、Um, Did you guys move somewhere so, else or just kept? So, so the dude, the dude to her left, stood up and grabbed the first pole immediately、uh, in front of him. I just, I just kind of like stood. I just kind of sat there. I was like, this is. Not, I was like trying to tell myself this is not a big deal.、Mm. Uh, But the moment we got to our stop, I was like, "Bye bye, bye bye." So, so I think that was one of the first. I think that was one of the earlier days、um, in my 2019 trip in China. So I was, I was wondering to myself, "Oh my gosh, don't tell me like this is the culture of China. Like, like do people just fart openly like right next to each other?"、Um, but, but thankfully, I think think she was an outlier.、Mm. So. So yeah,、um, okay. So anyway, you're you're in Shanghai.、Uh, you were you were kind of stressed, angsty, playing a lot of tennis,、um, sweaty sometimes. Then you come to San Diego. What was the so so? What were the elements of like culture shock and making new friends that you experienced? Well, I think definitely the language was the first thing. Like. English not being my first language and having to figure out, you know, what are the cool kid linguals? That was definitely hard. Yeah, how did you pick up English then? 
my English was actually pretty good on paper because China teaches that pretty well. So it's awkward because like in English class, I, I'm kind of used as like a good example, especially for like assignments, but not for anything that's like, you know, oral or presentation stuff. So it's, it's a little bit awkward. I see. So you were you were perfectly capable in terms of like writing and grammar and understanding, then, yeah, and understanding. But then conversationally, it was kind of like a like a I can't find the right words to say. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You know, I kind of asked. I actually experienced that right now during my PhD because my lab is predominantly Chinese, um, and I've been in the lab for uh, over two and a half years. So, like. First of all, I realized like the Chinese that my parents usually speak with me is is like a simpler version designed to help me understand um, what they're what they're saying. Mm. Uh, and so then like I you know I I come to the lab and then like I hear people like talking with each other during lunch break or um, helping each other in experiments, and it's like much much faster like right. like uh, you know like. You know, like my mom, she'll she'll kind of like talk to me like more with with more pronounced syllables, mm. like ni xiang chi fen, you know. But then, like you know, it's like when people just talk casually, uh, native Chinese people, that is just like ni xiang chi fen, you know. It's like it's it's much faster, right? And um, I actually still understand, but then occasionally there are like certain sentence structures where I know what I want to say in English. And it's like I'm almost translating each word exactly, which often like doesn't doesn't always work depending on like how you say it in Chinese. Yeah. Other times it's just like I just don't know the word. I just don't have the vocabulary. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's like it's like I can understand. I can usually piece it together. Um but man, like speaking it is like so much it's so much harder. Um do you want to try something risky and do a Chinese podcast for the next couple of minutes? <laughs> I don't want to alienate our English listeners. Though. Oh, okay. We can, we can, we can, we uh, can, maybe like a minute, maybe. Um, and then we can translate for them. Sure. So, okay. So let me ask you questions in the next couple of minutes. I'll take over as the host in Chinese. Okay. All right. Let's do it. OK， 所以阿文，你最近嗯写中文，然后你觉得你这个写字有进步吗？呃，可能在进步，因为我在我开始的时候，我的我写写的字好差，我差，我那个那个 proportions 不好。啊、呃嗯，我也像我我的我的朋友海林，他说我我写像一个小孩子。嗯啊、呃，然后我跟你，我跟你 FaceTime 一下，你告诉我我的我的横的横和竖太平太平，嗯，呃，所以我的，所以我看你怎么学，我也我也查在 Reddit 上应该怎么应该怎么写，我看了，哦、呃，你需要在上面比下面窄一点，嗯哼，或者或者。把你的横搞搞斜一点，嗯哼，呃，然后我就就然后你不可以，你你就需要练练习练练练，嗯哼，我我有这个这个长的这个、list， 
有好几个字，好好好好几百字。嗯，现在我写了一千六个，一千一千六个词语，这么多。所以，呀呀，所以，所以我的我的左手又越学越越熟悉。嗯，太好了。So, so I'll do a little bit of translate just to summarize. I was asking Alan about. There's a calligraphy progress because he's been learning a lot of new Chinese words and、um, you know writing them down. So he started with, according to one of his lab member Hailing, as a very childish writing, and he's accumulated some tricks and tips and making some progress on writing the basic strokes. And because he's been writing so much, his hand is getting sore. Yeah. Yeah, especially my wrist, especially with the pen, the ballpoint pen I was using. It's like, oh boy.、Um, yeah, I guess to add on to that, yeah, like, like, like I just learned, like, you know, sometimes it helps to diag, like, make have a certain slant to your strokes, make sure the tops、uh, not as wide as the bottom.、Uh, make like, and I guess a few other things I remember is to make sure like all the components have the same height, like the radicals and everything. Yeah.、Um, So, so yeah, it's、uh, it's 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 been a good learning experience. Unfortunately, that had to be interrupted because、um, my teaching or lab responsibilities started to take more of my time. That's、so、actually, good. I haven't been I haven't been I haven't been on my Chinese in the, in a few days at least.、Mm. Hoping to get back to it. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I always think about you know character and character, and in Chinese, like they say that your character reflect your character. Does that, does that make sense? Character reflects your character as a person. Yeah, I guess in English too, like you kind of try to interpret personalities by seeing how people's handwriting. Handwriting, right? Yeah, like even more. Who have like really clean handwriting? You think of them as like super neat. Right. Right. I see. So, yeah, and then people with like, I feel like you can tell like people who kind of like their handwriting is kind of crappy. They probably write really fast, and their thoughts aren't as. Organized or neat, but maybe they like work really fast or think really fast. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. Like, I feel like people who like are a bit more uptight or like, you know, anal retentive about like their just everything would also have the same attitude towards their handwriting. And、so、right. Work at it until it like looks good. Yeah.、Um, I will say though, like I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you've noticed, but like Chinese people who write English, their handwriting tends to look better too. So I've heard. There's it's very it's very it's very characteristic of a certain style of writing. You know what I, I mean? still do not know what that is, but I've been told like even so in school when I write on whiteboard, and someone who has no idea like I wrote it will come and ask me. Hey, did you write on the whiteboard? Because it's very similar to how my how my mom would write English. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, because their mom's Chinese, right? Right. Yeah, I yeah, because because I I notice like the way my mom and dad write. It's like it's certain there's a certain neatness to it that I feel like is not. I don't. I I can't quite imitate or emulate. You know? Yeah, maybe it's how when I look at your writing and there's something I can't emulate either. <laughs> sure, sure. I think that like 
I have a feeling like, you know, like when we, when we learn, when American people learn English, here's my, here's my hypothesis that just came to mind. I think when American people learn English, like, you know, like they imitate like the strokes on like a, like a little English workbook in first grade. And those strokes tend to, you know, go from the top to the bottom, like in a very straight line, you know, like Im imagine if you write B. Mm -hmm. And so like that first vertical stroke is from to the top line to the bottom line. It's just like one large stroke, right? Yeah. And then like the the two curves for the capital B are like two semicircles, right? It's very, it's very definite. It's very like, you know, it doesn't matter like how, how hard you press on the, how hard you press on the page. It's just like, just make that shape. Right. Yeah. But then I think that for Chinese characters, you know, like, like the, the thickness of your stroke matters, um, you know, like, like you have to write a very definite stroke. You can't like, you know, there's more strokes you have to do per character compared to the average le English letter. Mm -hmm. You have to fit the proportions all nicely. You have to, um, I don't know. It's like, it's like you kind of get a, like, I feel like your strokes are more like, it's more of a stroke and less of a line, I feel. Mm, that's and a good so way then, to put like, it. Right? And so then when you when you translate that to writing the alphabet, I think there are characteristics that are more stroke-like rather than line-like that make the letters in the English alphabet stand out. Interesting. When a native Chinese person writes it. Yeah. It's those like and, my... And, and like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, it's hard to describe on a podcast, but I bet, like, you know, people can tell if they were to look at it, you know, right. subconsciously pick up those clues. It is, it is, I think the muscle memory and what your, you know, maybe even like your muscle, where muscle structure might be different. Or like, say a tennis player goes play ping pong, you can clearly tell that the guy is a tennis player. And it's just, you know, things that you can't really change very easily get carried yeah. across. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, so I guess there's a Chinese equivalent of like your character can determine your character. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So then what's, what's your character? Ooh. <laughs> what's your, what's your personality? Asking the real questions. Yeah. Your, your Chinese handwriting is pretty. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't always very pretty when I transferred from my first elementary school to my second, I was like, always kind of used as a negative example for my handwriting for my studying so i think either like second or third grade i started becoming very intentional about how i write and that's when i picked up you know the good habits hang on you were used as a negative example yeah like by your teachers yeah in front of the class or even so like, your teachers would be like look at kaywin like like you don't like like his handwriting's a little sloppy, you know. Like don't don't be like that. More or less. Really. And the good students will also be used as, you know, role models to to learn from. So people would have like a bad good side by side comparison of you and these other students. Yeah, if my memory serves me right. Oh my gosh! How did not that? How did that not implant some kind of? shame tripping aspect within your psyche yeah you there's grew up through the years definitely some inferiority complex <laughs> kind of deeper than <laughs> interesting wow that's so punitive and at least i don't know I, I wouldn't want to do that if i were a teacher um 
Oh, well. Is that, would you say that was particularly like your school? Is that more of a Chinese elementary school culture thing? Like what, what would you say towards that? I think it varies by teacher, but at the school is like, so there are different, say, not quality, but yeah, different intensity of classes. Like there is a, a clear stratification of the, the schools and even within the same school stratifications of the classes. So if you want to get into a good university, then you want to shoot for the best stratification you can. So when I trans kind of moved up in the world, I was, you know, the bottom of that world. And uh, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so you really had to. So your your handwriting was sloppy, and you think that reflected a a bad a poor a poor study habit at the time as well. Yeah, I mean, when I at my first school, I really just didn't care. I I re remember I spent most of my time just doing the minimum and just loving PE class. But then the second school is a lot more strict, so I couldn't do that. I see. Okay. And this was when was this was this after you moved to Shanghai? Yeah. So this is in Shanghai. Okay. So the Wuhan school is a lot more lenient, shall I say? I see. I see. But then once you were like in one of the bigger cities, it's like chop shop. Right. Like, like, like hammered down. Right, exactly. Were there ever any physical punishments that the teachers gave you? Yeah, there were some. Like, like hit with the ruler kind of thing? Uh, maybe with, there's like a little like thinner stick. Maybe some teachers use rulers. I actually didn't get hit too much, but okay. that happens. That's good. <laughs> cool. Yeah, discipline and punish. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so then, so then, let's let's jump back to your story. So then, you come to you come to San Diego. Obviously, picking up English took some time. Um, have we talked about how you got better at English? Was that just more practice with talking and everything? Yeah, I don't remember. I think probably practice makes perfect. Yeah. What else? Uh, what else do you remember about the culture shock? Like, what was, what did you have to adjust to when it came to living in San Diego? I actually really missed. Well, I didn't have a car. I was too young to get a permit, even. I think, yeah, and I couldn't really get anywhere without my parents driving me or taking a ride. So I actually kind of missed the public transit system, despite the bad memories associated with that. So you can never be happy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Interesting. So, so then during high school, I'm guessing you played a lot of tennis, right? You were on the varsity team and everything. Yeah, I played tennis a good amount. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you do other things in high school? That was mostly it, actually. I think I was in a few clubs, but you know, I think. Oh, I played some soccer too. Oh, really? Yeah, I played soccer and some baseball. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, did you like, were you like, was it a recreational team? Were you on like the actual sports teams for those sports? I was on the, during my sophomore year, I was on the JV team for baseball and soccer. Those are actually more for conditioning. I thought, you know, throwing baseball will help me with my tennis serve and soccer will help me with my endurance and speed. <laughs> Did it? I don't know. Maybe. 
Okay. I definitely can myself. Well, it, it has to be better than it has to be better than not right. playing any sport at all, right? Yeah. So let's just say that it did. And to me, it was also more, you know, making friends and socializing in this new place. And I thought yeah. sports is a great way to do that. Would you Would you say that you did make some of your closest friends during high school? No, I wouldn't. Not not the not in San Diego. I still keep up with a few friends, but. I wouldn't say my closest friends were from San Diego. I see. You made some friends you still in touch with, but they're not like your your closest, most fun friends. Yeah, there's like two or three. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um. All right. Cool. So then, so then now we've now we've been through high school. So I guess like you graduate from high school. Uh, and at this point, you spent four years in America. Is that is that accurate? Three. Yep. Three. Oh, I see. So you started when you were a sophomore, like when you were in tenth grade, a sophomore. Yeah. Okay. And three years, yeah, like like I said, I guess three years wasn't, you know, enough to make lifelong friends. I see. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um. Okay, so before we jump into talking about college, uh, which is where you and I would eventually meet. Um, I want to ask, like, what, what is, who else is in your family? Because we, we haven't talked as much about your family yet. Oh, yeah. I have father, a mother, a sister. Cool. So, so you talked about your dad and how he was uh, pretty <coughs> tough on you in terms of tennis. Um, what, what would you say were other formative influences that he had on your development growing up? Mm, I wouldn't say he was super tough on me. Oh really? He just he just kind of like wanted you to play tennis. Yeah, and only for maybe like a year or two, and then I think he either, yeah he either let the let it a little bit loose or I started picking it up myself then. So he was never really tough on me in terms of sports or even school. Yeah, hmm. and was I would, he tough on you in other things, or was he just not just was he just not tough? Mm, yeah, maybe more of our behavioral stuff. A few times he would, you know, enforce some discipline, but overall, yeah. pretty chill. Yeah. So I, I think I took after both my parents for for their general chillness. My mom was definitely a little bit more, you know, strict when I was younger, and I was thankful for that. But overall, she's also very understanding, very kind. Yeah, so I think I kind of look up to both of them. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but your dad also has a, has a, has a, like a, a love for gardening, right? Yeah, that's what they do all day. They're doing it right Both now. Your parents. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is that how they met? Oh, like, they're, they're in the garden and, and then they, <laughs> and they fall in love. <laughs> Sounds like the Garden of Eden. No, but. <laughs> no, my mom grew up in the city. I don't think gardening was ever a big part of her life until. Even just the which which city Shanghai. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so did you move there because she had roots there? We moved there. That might be part of the reason. Maybe work related too. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. So your mom was was a a city native growing yeah. up. What about your dad? So he was more a village boy. He grew up because um, his parents were intellectual, so they were sent to 
like the mountains during that time to be teachers and to live with farmers. So he lived a pretty during the Cultural Revolution agrarian life, yeah, in his childhood, and then he had the opportunity. Yeah, actually, hang on, hang on. Okay, actually, let finish finish that sentence or paragraph. He had the opportunity to um, to attend this prep school in the city for a year and then tested into college when he was 15. Cool, cool. Um, I was gonna say, like, uh, people might not know what you mean by like, oh, they were intellectuals, therefore this and this and that. Care to give some historical context? Sure, for our broad audience who don't know. For our listeners <laughs> all around the world. <laughs> yeah, it was during a time when <clears throat> Mao was in charge and we think it's beneficial for intellectuals to learn the lives and the ways of um, the farmers. And thinking too much is not good for one's soul. So he uh, dispatched many educated young people to um, areas that's less developed so that these areas will be developed. I see. So if you were considered intellectual, you didn't have a choice. You were like, all right, you're moving to a farm and you're working there. No, to my understanding, that sounds about right. Okay. Okay. And so your mom's parents, were they like, were they like professors or something? Um, teachers or something? Yeah, they were both in the healthcare. My, my grandpa was a surgeon and my grandma was a nurse. Interesting. Okay. So then they so then they had to go to the village so your mom so your mom was no not your mom your dad was born there oh yeah so that those the healthcare professionals were my mom's parents my dad's parents were teachers your dad's oh, oh okay sorry so your mom wait wait your mom was in shanghai growing up yep your dad yeah yeah your dad um sorry your dad was the one who was born in the village mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And uh, so, so how did they meet them? I think they met through the good old Chinese way of introduction. Oh, okay, okay. From, uh, from soy milk meat, uh, yo tiao. <laughs> <laughs> soy, milk. soy milk meets noodles. <laughs> wait, wait, did you say yo tiao? Yeah. Oh, okay. Which is well, fried dough for Americans who don't know. <laughs> yeah, dude, you could say there are so many Chinese foods you could pair together. Like, um, I don't know. See? Baozi meets, <laughs> meets Miantiao or something. Gotta be a drink and a food, though. And I think to me, the classic combination is soy milk and yotiao in my mind. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 you're right. Because you would dip the yotiao <laughs> into the soy milk. Mm -hmm. So the two naturally go together. So good. Wow. Okay. Ah, so then they met through the traditional parents, uh, parents of the two, like kind of connect each other through like word of mouth and everything. Maybe either for common friends or relatives who knew each other. Okay. I have never, I have never like seen that or experienced that firsthand. Is that, do you know about that? Is that more of just like, like, oh, hey, friend, like I know this other friend whose daughter like would be probably a good fit for your son kind of thing. I think it's fairly common still. 
really. Maybe not but that explicitly, like, but I think yeah, parents I mean, will try like, to I, like get together and just see what happens, you know? I see. See, I only I only know of one couple where that happened, so it's like I'm not too familiar. Yeah. With yeah. Okay. Interesting. Cool. So they met through that, and then like that clicked, and so then they got married, and then they had kids. I guess so. That happened. That happened pretty pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, it has sparkness, right? <laughs> um, and then they had your sister, which you also haven't talked too much about. So she's younger than you. Yeah, she's two years younger. Two years younger. So she was born in '96. Mm -hmm. okay. Year of the rats. Cool. You're the rat. Nice. What's her name? Her name is Michelle. Uh -huh. um, so not named after a lake and winning. Yeah, um, she was named um, because my parents really like Michelle Kwan, who's also a champion. Uh, that was that was my first thought of Michelle. Yeah, there, there are many Michelles of our age, and half of them are probably thanks to Michelle Kwan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember watching an episode of Arthur, and she was featured in one of Oh, no way. Yeah, so she was pretty big, like first, second, third grade for, for me. For sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, what's your what's your what's been your relationship with her? We uh growing up we fought quite a bit, I think. We were only two years apart okay. and she was uh quite competitive, so we compete in everything. Play sports. So she's also competitive. Yeah. Okay. Play sports, play chess, play piano. So we did all the same things basically, and I would say once we moved to San Diego, um, we kind of explored our own paths more. And I think so. How would you describe the difference between your paths? Hmm. Kind of just focusing on our own interests and what problems we need to work through ourselves. Might be a little bit vague. So you have a couple examples. Um, examples. Let's see. Well, I think I picked up, for instance, I kept playing tennis, and I think she was in track. Uh -huh. This is a way to you know stay active and also make friends. So yeah. we didn't have as many like <laughs> any interactions within the school compared to back in China, either like none of the same clubs. And I think, well, both of us also still went to church. So that was like a common area of growth. Mm. Oh, yeah, okay. but it was just definitely a different dynamic in terms of the competitiveness. So you moved on to college. Am I missing anything important from your first 18 years of life? Ooh, let's see. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Um, I mean, well, you did mention church. Is that like, is that something that's always been a part of your life? It became a part of my life more so when we moved to the U.S. I see. So like, so so let me ask you, how would you describe the spiritual or religious background of your childhood? Wow. This reminds me of another podcast. It is derived from another podcast. <laughs> it's a question. And you're special if you know. And it's, it's a question that's been getting asked 
to every guest the first question. Describe to me your spiritual background, whatever that means to you. Yeah. Um, sorry, what's the question? Okay, I got it. So in China, so my, my mom's family are, you know, mostly Christian. So I was more or less familiar with, um, you know, what some of these words mean and, you know, the format of worship and um, gatherings. And things changed a little bit when I came to the U.S. because I mentioned earlier about identity crisis. So what does it mean to be Christian? So I explored that more in the church that we went to. It was a kind of Chinese church with different services for either Mandarin speakers or Cantonese speakers or English, um, you know, second or third generation um, Chinese Americans. So it's there. I kind of gained more of a theological background of what it means to be Christian and um, also kind of reflecting on my personal need for Christ. And I was baptized towards the end of high school. Mm, I see. So when you, when you were talking about identity crisis when you went to the U.S., was it largely regarding faith and religion and spirituality? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's both either that or both like, am I Chinese or American at this point? Or both, because in China, people will say that I'm, some people will say I'm American too. So that's kind of in the back of my mind. What does it mean to be Chinese American or both or none? And yeah. I think turning to kind of faith it was helpful because it's no longer as important as a distinction, even though it's still important. It's not like mm -hmm. the top question that I was thinking, but more. So like, am I um, just a human composed of, you know, mostly carbon or am I a spiritual being? And if that, who is my maker, if there is a maker and what are the implications for that? So would you say that those were the questions that you had in high school that ended up driving like your your dive into into your own faith. Yeah, to a to a large extent, looking for a worldview that I can buy in and live with was a big part. Just searching for meaning then and still. I see. So could you could you tell us more about that process? Like what what was that dive like? What what were the pivotal moments where you like, you know, I think that this is the worldview that I have, you know, and and what, what we, how would you describe your worldview in your own words? Yeah, I think by, by default, I'm a pretty practical person. So whatever worldview produces the best outcome or in econ terms, like the highest utility, then that's the worldview to adopt. Uh, but I think okay. some of the more influential um, thoughts came from like speakers coming from traditional Chinese religion or philosophies come in and present their experiences having been either Buddhist or Taoist or, you know, any major schools of thoughts or religion and then discovering Christianity and kind of comparing these different schools of thought, coming to some sort of conclusion. I think those were helpful to me at least. 
so so how long was this process you know like or maybe it's not even over to be honest but but how how long was it you know between this like the start of having these questions and what was it like when you kind of like settled do you do you feel like you did settle do you feel like you you landed or you you had some unresolved tension that was finally settled like resolved how would you describe that well i think main question of if is there a christian god or not a christian god was i felt settled in high school and within the christian realm you know there are also so many different branches and things to think about i'm definitely not you know, a hundred percent settled anywhere. <laughs> how did how did you come to believe that there is a Christian God? Um, I think a good comparison made was, for instance, between a big one because one of my best friends is Buddhist, so we sometimes talk about like how we think about life differently or similarly. Um, but I think a lot of it is the hope that we have in Christ that that he's the only if he is real and like who he says he is then he is the solution to um, cleansing our sin and you know reconnecting us to um, to to God and that seems to be the the right solution compared to say in Buddhism it's more there's also elements of like kind of Buddha helping you, but it's more like self transcendental and there's not as much hope, but things are just, they just are, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit more Zen and I like that too. I like the Zen is of just accepting, you know, the cycles of life and right, going right. through with it. They're not mutually exclusive. Right. I see. I see. So, so it, what, how would you, how do you answer the question if I asked, like, what is it that you hope for? You know, what, what is it that, you know, Christ or God like provides, you know, um, if, if I knew nothing about like the religion um, or the religious aspect of you? Yeah. So that's a question that I recently have been thinking a little bit about more, like what we hope for in this time and why do we hope for that? Like, we hope for the end of this pandemic. Why is it because we want to get back to doing the things that we enjoy doing and reconnecting with our friends and people we care about, doing activities that we enjoy, our hobbies? Is that what we look for? Or as Christians, should we look for something greater? Should we, you know, hope for the coming of Christ and you know, going to um, the place that we belong to for eternity. I think I definitely, there are moments when when I reflect on that, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I should be hoping for, but I still catch myself hoping to return to quote unquote normalcy because of all the the beauties of this world, you know? Right, right. So it sounds to me like you're saying, um you know, like taking this pandemic as an example, it's like, 
as much as as happy and as much joy we as we would experience once we are able to live normal lives again um even if that life was the best you know like everything was comfortable it sounds like w- would it be fair to say that you still wouldn't feel quite satisfied that even if you had everything your way yeah it doesn't like you you wouldn't you wouldn't feel quite content in 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 just saying like yes to is this it you know um and it seems like your whatever you is like your heart your soul it seems like you're yearning for something that's meant to be greater than what your five senses directly perceive right yeah now. i think maybe like putting a little bit of a different perspective when things are normal though i or maybe like many of us also do think oh wouldn't it be nice to just be be at home and you know enjoy the peace and comfort and not have to deal with all the the stress of the world and the obligations of the world so i would say no matter what state we are we are there always something that we look forward to and once we get it you know it's either onto the next thing or kind of you know finding a reason why that satisfy us right it's like no matter what we achieve or what we have we're never complete like something in ourselves is not exactly yeah um and i'm sure like some great theologian or philosopher like talks about how and and i guess in this case c.s lewis he's like you know if, if we find ourselves like not quite satisfied like not quite satisfied with what this world has to offer yeah. it must be because we were created for another yeah. group, something like that. i like that quote mm-hmm. that's what you're doing at. I, I, I yeah saying. yeah okay yeah mm. and so as a result your faith has endowed with it endowed you with this more beautiful vision that you hope to cast in the people um and the world around you I don't say so. It's a hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hope for things and mm-hmm. um, cool. So, um, okay. So we're uh, we're we're at the end of high school, and you're now in college. So, so I actually don't know where to start with this. How would you describe like your college experience? It wouldn't be the same without you. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> All right, I think it's the time to end this.